Today we'll be discussing the upcoming 73rd Annual Emmy Awards, and we'll be discussing the problems with academic publishing in medicine. This is Doctor versus Comedian. I'm Dr. Asif Doja, and this is the Doctor of Laughs. Not a real doctor. Ali Hassan. Every episode, I pick a topic for Ali from comedy and entertainment, and I question him about it. Then Ali picks a topic from medicine and health and grills me on that topic. Today, we'll be previewing the upcoming 73rd Annual Emmy Awards, and we'll be discussing the pitfalls of academic publishing in medicine. But first... Ali, I had to tell you an interesting story that happened the other day. It better be interesting, buddy. Okay? Let me just tell you that. Because, let me just say this off the top, a lot of support and positive feedback about our interviews with people like Dr. Megan Harrison, Dr. Glaucom Flecken. Mm -hmm. Who else was there? There's people we've been chatting. Dr. Jen Gunter. I get the feeling sometimes that people are like, hey, I love this show, especially when these two ding-dongs aren't talking to each other. That may or may not be true. Either way, we've set a strong precedent with fun interviews, so you better have some good banter here, buddy. Well, what is it? okay, listen, it's actually kind of controversial. So we've been with the subject of a copyright claim, if you can believe it. The lawyers are involved. Uh, they're what? Not, they're not. There's no lawyers involved. So okay, listen, okay. so this is the way it... My blood pressure, I can't take it. <laughs> this is what happens. So we uh, we talk about this at the end of the show where we post our stuff on um, all the different podcast apps spotify apple podcasts etc we're on every single one that you can possibly get but we're also on youtube so you can listen to our podcast on youtube there's no video it's just the audio but some people choose to do that a handful of people so youtube has an interesting thing with regards to copyright so if you use copyrighted music and i'm sure it's the same for copyrighted images or videos like clips from movies and things like that as well people can make a copyright claim which is fine youtube has a system for allowing people who feel their copyright is being infringed upon to make a claim so we had two over the past like you know six months or so since we started the podcast one two that are legitimate one is for the tragically hip episode because we played a bit of one of their new songs called ouch Mm. right and another one is for our more recent Raiders of the Lost Ark episode, because we use part of John Williams' Raiders theme in that episode. And so we got a copyright claim. What happens when you get a copyright claim in YouTube is that means anytime you get enough views to monetize a video, that money, yeah. instead of going to you, the creator, would go to the people who have the copyright claim. It just kind of gets funneled the over creators. there. Yes, exactly. But here's a little unfortunate spoiler. Our videos have nowhere near enough um, views to generate any income. So you got to go over a million, I think. Right? Uh, I or, think or over a hundred thousand. No, I think least. I think it's twenty to forty thousand. You can start to monetize. Okay. Views. Okay. Um, God but, willing. God willing, we'll make Raiders money yeah, one day. Well, anyway, so um, but yes. those are fair. But we're allowed to use those under, and it depends where you live, but fair use is probably the copyright law that most people are aware of. And fair use is you're allowed to use snippets of these for the purpose of, say, review, criticism, parody. These are all allowed by copyright claims. Mm. I know enough about this. We have one of our good friends is an intellectual property lawyer, so I could check with him, but I know enough about this that I, I feel comfortable in this. So you just kind of refute those two claims and say, hey, 
we're actually we're reviewing and being critical of both the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark and the album by this tragically hip. So it's fair use. So then that will be reviewed by like Universal Music and whoever owns the Raiders theme. Okay, so right now it's just like some bot or whatever the right word is, some some kind of machine. Nobody's listened yet. Right, you're right. So these are all automatic things that like, they just have these bots that go through ah, YouTube things. videos. I didn't have the. It's like <laughs> I didn't have the lingo. Yeah, no, it's did. like it's like uh, it's like you know the Borg from um, Star Trek. I think that's who they hire. That's a whew, deep that's nerd a reference. <laughs> Wow, inside baseball. Uh, Good for so you. anyway, but then we have a third one. So I didn't tell you about this, but it's weird because remember we use the same theme song in every episode, and we use it at the beginning and the end of the show. And it's a claim on one episode for the theme song, but only at the end of the episode, not at the beginning. The same theme song we use all the yeah. time in one episode infringed on some That's copyright. right. So how is that possible? Even though that music is from, what do you call it, royalty-free or Yeah, and digital rights-free. So we use Pixabay, and if you read our episode descriptions, we always give credit to Pixabay and to the artist. Mm -hmm. What a boy. Sure, which we don't even have to do. Yes, we that's right. That that's right. Pixabay is clearly everything is digital rights-free. You don't have to give credit, but we do because we like the theme and we appreciate him providing this to be used. So the question is, what happened here? So when you click mm. on the name of the people who are saying we infringe the copyright, they're called Big Up. I thought you'd like that name. I do. <laughs> Big Up. Okay. So Big Up is a company in Asia. Didn't see that. They name. are, and I tried to go to the website, but it's all in Japanese. And then I was trying to figure out how are they claiming this. So I'm pretty sure what happens if you go on Reddit, they have like Reddit is the source of <laughs> the real truth in this world. So you find out <laughs> what Reddit says. They're like, these are also bots. So these companies just make these fake copyright claims. And if you don't notice, because you don't get an email or anything like that saying there's a copyright claim, it's just you have to kind of look to your channel and find out what's going on. Oh, there's a restriction no on this episode. Way. And you kind of have to find what's going on. So I think a lot of these companies just put these copyright claims out, hoping that – and then they can't oh, prove, right, uh, what's going hustle. on. And then they're just going to start making money. Yeah. I'm sure they do this to lots of videos. So that's what I think is going on with this because I said, you know, this is clearly – this guy's creation he put it on pixabay for everyone to be able to use if they want anyway so i'll let you know how that goes with these copyright claims but thought i'd pass that along to you no big up to big up we no, have no exactly. respect for you and your side hustle your part-time job of fleecing people for money which you'll never get from us huh we showed you So, Ali, the Emmy Awards, which are, for those of you who don't know, the television awards, they're coming up this Sunday, September 19th. So I thought it would be fun. We did this for the Oscars. I thought we'd go through some of the categories and get your thoughts on who you think would win. I can chime in as well. More than ever. I mean, I honestly think that, the, the, you know, the pandemic taketh and it giveth, but it's given us such incredible entertainment at a time where we needed it so much mm -hmm. as consumers of entertainment. But it's really like 
top quality stuff has come out and and a lot of it speaks to us in a way that it might not have from Mm -hmm. an emotional Mm -hmm. point of view because of the pandemic so I'm excited to talk about all these shows and it's like, you know, it's not our normal sort of path that we go down. But as you said, we did do the Oscars, but the Emmys in particular, some of these shows, just mind blowing quality, both of acting and directing and of course, uh, writing, producing really, really phenomenal shows out there. And you make a really good point. It's true. The communal experience, you speak, yeah, the movie opening weekend, and that has been kind of picking up a bit over the summer, but the Delta variant has been putting some, some halts, halt on, halt on that or something. I don't know. Hold on that. Buzzkill. Buzzkill. Yeah. Ruin that. The Delta Ruin that variant has killed our um, Yeah. But, but, but it's like the communal experience is now TV. Like we talked about before how Shit's Creek became such a phenomenon last summer because people were at home. Mm-hmm. They're stuck at home. What's this show? Oh, it's a feel good show that everybody's talking about. Okay, let's watch it. And then it became such a, a huge hit. Queen's Gambit, again, for that period of time it came out, everybody's talking about Queen's Gambit. So it's like the new thing, and I agree with you. The quality, I don't understand how they can just do this. There's so many shows. They're so well-written. I don't know how this is possible. It feels like there has to be a bubble that's going to burst or a tipping point at some point, but uh, I don't know. For now, it's it's great. And uh, side note, great news for Canada, because uh, we take great pains, and I say that as somebody who's on a set right now, we take great pains in really, really protecting ourselves and everybody around us as we work. So I think there is a fair amount of work coming to Canada. It might have been, you know, stuff that might have been filmed in the U.S. normally mm. is coming up north. And so. uh, you, yeah, you have, you're on a new show. We'll talk about that in a couple months as we get a bit closer to the release date. But oh, it's sure. with some uh, familiar faces that you guys probably know from other sitcoms. So uh, more to come. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yes. So should we get into this? Okay, so we're going to start with a limited series or movie. We're not going to have time to go through all of it, obviously. You know, we still got to talk about academic publishing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and other uh, sexy stuff in your world, Asif. <laughs> yeah. But I did want to go through maybe a shout out for Outstanding Supporting Actor and Outstanding Supporting Actress in a limited series or movie. In the actor category, three of the actors are from Hamilton. One is from The Queen's Gambit, Mayor of Easttown, and then I May Destroy You. So... It's just worth mentioning. If you haven't watched those shows, they are all fun. I haven't watched Hamilton because I saw Hamilton on stage and I'm like, oh, I'm so mm-hmm. concerned that it'll somehow taint that amazing mm-hmm. production that I saw on stage. And in the Outstanding Supporting Actress, there's one more show that's in there that's not in the actor category. And that is Catherine Hahn is the supporting actress and from WandaVision. Yeah. And you, uh, you're you a huge yeah, fan of WandaVision. Yeah, I, I, lo- I love WandaVision. And Catherine Hahn is like the linchpin of that show. I think people who've watched it know, and I, I won't spoil it for people, but, you know, there's a popular song that's in the show that became popular on social media, kind of revealing exactly what her character is all about. Uh, Catherine Hahn, I mean, she's always been a great actress, great comedic actress. This is a bit more drama for her. But she still has some funny roles, so she's great. So shout out to her. Okay, now lead actor and lead actresses in a limited series or movie. These are some shows I'm not familiar. So you're going to fill me in on some of these, I'm sure. Asif. Now, Paul Bettany in WandaVision, mm-hmm. Hugh Grant in The Undoing. Mm-hmm. And man, we wanted to watch that. I don't know what happened. That was on our list, and we never watched this. I do like Hugh Grant in a serious role. I mm-hmm. got to say, he's... He's the right amount of creepy. And then Ewan McGregor, one of my favorite actors, mm-hmm. literally one of my top 12 actors of, mm-hmm. of ever, mm-hmm. is in a, is that a series or a movie? Holston, I don't series. even know it. Limited series. Lin-Manuel Miranda for Hamilton and Leslie Odom Jr. for Hamilton. So I guess I got to see Hamilton. I think that's the, <laughs> that's the, uh, 
That's the lesson there. What are your What are your thoughts on who's going to win in outstanding lead actor here? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue against Lin Manuel Miranda, but it's a weird thing, right? This was filmed at the end of this original cast theatrical run of Hamilton. It's several years old. I'm not sure. You know, I don't know. I, I'm not sure I would go with that. He may certainly win because he's great, but I think it's going to be Paul Bettany and Wandavision. That'd be my guess. I think he's great portrays this android WandaVision and him trying to figure out what's going on through the course of the show is kind of mm -hmm. the, the viewer stand in for that. So I'm going to say Paul Bettany. Okay. Outstanding lead actress in a limited series or movie. You have Kate Winslet for Mayor of Easttown, Michaela Cole, I May Destroy You, Anya Taylor-Joy for The Queen's Gambit, Elizabeth Olsen for WandaVision, and Cynthia Erivo in a show called Genius Aretha, which is also on my list of shows to see. What are your thoughts on this? Tough one. Uh, Michaela Cole, so many rave reviews for I May Destroy You. Anya Taylor-Joy, again, Queen's Gambit. I mean, she, she, it's a star-making performance in the Queen's Gambit. And I really want to say Elizabeth Olsen because what she has to do in WandaVision, portray these different periods of in television history and change the way she acts in all of them, mm. it's really great. But got to give it to Kate Winslet. Mayor of Easttown is so good, and it's all predicated on her performance. So I'm saying uh, Kate sure. Winslet, Mayor of Easttown. And just a shout out to Jean Smart also, who is getting rave reviews for her role as in, in Mayor of Easttown. And she has an Outstanding Supporting Actress nomination right. in right. that yeah. show, too. All right. Outstanding Limited Series. You have five limited series here. Mayor of Easttown, I May Destroy You, WandaVision, The Queen's Gambit, and The Underground Railroad. What are your thoughts there? What's going to win? Um... Again, this is tough. There's so much good stuff on this list. I think... In any other year, it probably would have been I May Destroy You or The Queen's Gambit. The Underground Railroad mm. has a lot of buzz behind it, but I think it's going to be Mayor of Easttown. Mm. It's just such a great show. Every episode is excellent. I think it's going to be Mayor of Easttown. Such a tight category. You can't lose and you can't win sort of thing, mm -hmm. huh? Mm -hmm. All right. So we're going to go to comedy series now. So we're going to go to Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Comedy Series. You've got three people from Saturday Night Live. Kate McKinnon. Cecily Strong, A.D. Bryant. Mm -hmm. I love them all. I love them all. Rosie Perez in The Flight mm -hmm. Attendant. I don't know if you watched The Flight Attendant. It's on my list. I really enjoyed this show, which on paper you'd yeah. think I wouldn't, but and I hadn't seen Rosie Perez in so long. Mm -hmm. Quite good. Hannah Einbinder in Hacks. Also, you just said the word star-making mm -hmm. performance. You were talking about so that. That I really thought she was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Hannah Waddingham in Ted Lasso. Fantastic. And Juno Temple mm -hmm. and Ted Lasso. These are all so good. What do you think? What's, what's your pick? It's the Battle of the mm -hmm. Hannahs Agreed. in my mind. Waddingham or Einbinder, Hacks or Ted Lasso. That's what I think. Yeah. And I'm going to go say Einbinder. It's tough. Hannah Waddingham is so good in Ted Lasso, but I'm going to say Hannah mm -hmm. Einbinder. I think, it's, as you said, it's a star making performance. I'll come up later in terms of which show I think is better. But yeah, I'm going to say. I'm leaning towards her, too, just because I have some understanding and experience in that world of, like, opening for big mm -hmm. acts and touring and being made to sort of wait and feel completely disrespected <laughs> and wondering why you even do what you do in the comedy world. I really thought she just played it effortlessly. Mm -hmm. Effortless. And I know how much work goes into making something look effortless. And, and she really, I feel like she really put in some, some serious work on that. All right. Outstanding supporting actor in a comedy series, two people from Saturday Night Live, Bo and Yang, who's, you know, really been having a career year. Keenan Thompson, who's been having a career career. 
both of those guys <laughs> yeah, exactly. are. Uh, it's a, and they think he's on his way out, so maybe that mm-hmm, might affect mm-hmm. the, the voting as well. Four people from Ted Lasso. Brett Goldstein, Brendan Hunt, Nick Mohammed, Jeremy Swift, all from Ted Lasso. Paul Reiser from The Kaminsky Method, a show that I consumed quite enthusiastically. And then Carl Clemens Hopkins from Hacks. This is anybody's I guess. I mean, I'm I not know. sure what to tell you here. Do you have a pick? I don't know, man. I, you know, Keenan Thompson, it's, it's almost like a, a lifetime achievement. Yeah, yeah, he's deserved. Always, always. He deserves it because, yeah, maybe he'll be leaving soon. If you have an understanding of what it takes to be on Saturday Night Live for a season and what it takes from you as a human being in this guy, what is, how long, how many years is this is like uh, going on a couple of decades almost that he's I think been he's on been, Saturday you Night know, Live? for two decades, not two full decades, but two decades yeah. for sure, yeah. Going on, mm-hmm. going on, yeah. So I'm leaning towards Keenan Thompson, even though everybody in Ted Lasso is quite phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, Ted Lasso, I think they're all so good. I think Brett Goldstein, who plays Roy... He's so deadpan, and I mean, he's such a great character. I think he may be going up, but I'm going to say Bowen Yang. I think Bowen Yang oh, had wow. a breakout okay. year, and it yeah. just one, one sketch is his breakout, and it's him playing like the iceberg that the Titanic hit. If you've seen that on Weekend Update, just look that up on YouTube. It just shows his comedic genius in that one little bit. So I'm going to say Bowen Yang. Okay. We're going to move into. Comedy series now, lead actors and lead actresses. So outstanding lead actress in a comedy series. You have A.D. Bryant in Shrill, Gene Smart in Hacks, Allison Janney in Mom, Kaylee Cuoco in The Flight Attendant, and Tracy Ellis Ross in Blackish. Mm-hmm. My feeling is this is between Tracy Ellis Ross and Gene Smart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I do yep. think Gene Smart, having been out of the public eye for some time or out of the spotlight for some time, and coming and giving such a huge grand performance. I, I don't know. I'm leaning towards Gene Smart and Hacks. Yeah, me too. I think, you know, and it's also to kind of award her, I think. We talked about this before when we talked about Hacks a couple of months ago. She's been in Hacks. She's been in Mayor of Easttown. She was in Watchmen. These are amazing performances. You believe her completely as this kind of aging comedian. So mm-hmm. Tracy Ellis Ross, again, she is with a look, you know, with just one look, she can make you break out in laughter. So she's great. But yeah. yep, I agree with you. Gene Smart. Outstanding lead actor in a comedy series. You have Jason Sudeikis and Ted Lasso, obviously. Anthony Anderson in Blackish. Michael Douglas in The Kaminsky Method. William H. Macy in Shameless. And Kenan Thompson in Kenan. Not in Saturday Night Live. There's a show called Keenan. <laughs> you didn't know, right? yeah. So this is his show. Is also on NBC. It comes on after Young Rock, the the, the show about the Rock. I watched. I, I watched the pilot for Keenan. I mean, it's an interesting thing because it's a guy who's a single dad trying to raise his kids after the death of his wife, and mm-hmm. they try and make it a bit more complicated. Like his emotions is not just comedy. It's him kind of suppressing some of these feelings about his wife's passing. It's a, it's a good performance and definitely kind of broadens Keenan Thompson's range for sure. You see that on the yeah. screen. But for me, and the, the other guys are all, I mean, they've all been nominated before. I mean, excellent actors, all of them, but it's Jason Sudeikis for Ted Lasso. I think I'm going Michael Douglas. Wow, interesting. Yeah, I think so. Well, he plays this, he plays Sandy Kaminsky, who is a aged out actor mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who teaches acting class, those who can't mm-hmm, teach. It's mm-hmm, sort of mm-hmm. based on that a little bit. I don't know. A lot of really great performances. Again, because of his experience, he makes it look like it's just no big deal. It's uh, I, I don't even know how difficult he would have found this role, to be quite honest. But 
He makes it look easy and very, very convincing. And Jason Sudeikis is a very close second for me. But I, if, if it went to Michael Douglas, I wouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to move on to drama. Drama for your mama. Outstanding supporting actresses in a drama series are as follows. Three from The Crown, four from Handmaid's Tale. So Gillian Anderson, Helena Bonham Carter, Emerald Fennell, all from The Crown. Anne Dowd, Yvonne Strahovski, Samira Wiley, and Madeline Brewer, all from The Handmaid's Tale. Anjanu Ellis from Lovecraft Country. Mm-hmm. How do you decide this? How does this even... Yeah, it's, it's a tough one. I think The Crown is such a phenomenon. I think it's going to be someone from The Crown. If you just guess The Crown or Handmaid's Tale, you're probably correct in this. I think it's going to be Gillian Anderson who plays Margaret Thatcher. I think that's what it's going to be. Mm. But Anjane Ellis from Lovecraft Country, it's... I watched all of Lovecraft Country. We could talk about it in a little bit. But there's one episode where she totally... Her character evolves in such a crazy way. She's a, the dark horse in this. She, she might win it. By the way, is it Anjane or Anjane? Because I've said one and you yeah, said the other. I don't know, but I'm stupid. And everybody who listens to this podcast knows I cannot pronounce people's names properly. So I am most likely wrong. Yes. Okay, perfect. Then for Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Drama Series, I'm going to go from bottom to top in this case, although people can't see my list, but, uh, you know, this will make sense in a moment. Uh, Chris Sullivan for This Is Us, Giancarlo Esposito for The Mandalorian, Tobias Menzies, Tobias, (laughs) it's not Tobias for God's sake. Tobias Menzies for The Crown, John Lithgow, Perry Mason, O.T. Fagbeni for The Handmaid's Tale, Max Minghella for The Handmaid's Tale, Bradley Whitford for The Handmaid's Tale, and finally, the recently dearly departed Michael K. Williams for Love, uh, Lovecraft Country. Uh, I'm still not fully... I, I mean, over it. I, I can be over it, obviously, but it's still... Uh, I mean, his 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 passing is still tormenting me as I think about not just how much more we should have seen of him or could have seen of Michael K. Williams, but also with all the stuff I've been watching, how much love and support he gave to other up and coming actors, to other established artists, and uh, and also I've been thinking about addiction a lot, and it's just uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I'll be pretty dismayed, Asif, if he doesn't yeah, get this Yeah, I mean, award. I'm going to go for Michael K. Williams. I actually had this picked uh, out before we... Uh, I, I had my list done before he, he passed away, and I picked him. Uh, mm-hmm. I agree with you. I mean, he's been an outstanding um, actor for many years. We got to know him as Omar on The Wire, right? That's when most people were, were exposed to him. And then sure. he's excellent Lovecraft Country. I won't go into too many spoilers in case people want to watch the show, but uh, it plays a very different character, not quite what you'd expect. He is a, the, a prototypical or stereotypical deadbeat dad, but why he he, he did that and, and, and his personal demons will come out if you decide to watch the show. So, you know, honestly, like I had this pick beforehand. I hope the, the Academy of Television, Arts and Sciences um, uh, recognizes this. Of course, the voting of this would have occurred before he passed away, but I, I think uh, he totally deserves it. So, yeah, I'm saying Michael K. Williams as well. Rig it. Somebody rig it. Fix it. Spoil it. Do something. If it wasn't Michael K. Williams, make it Michael K. Williams. Outstanding lead actress 
in a drama series. You have Emma Corrin for The Crown and Olivia Colman for The Crown. You have Uzo Aduba for In Treatment, Elizabeth Moss for The Handmaid's Tale, Journey Smollett for Lovecraft Country, and MJ Rodriguez for Pose. I got to watch a little bit of In Treatment before. So I've seen the original In Treatment mm-hmm, mm-hmm. from yeah. a number of years ago. Yeah, with Gabriel uh, Byrne, yeah. Gabriel Byrne, exactly. I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. And I got to watch a little bit of this before interviewing Uzo. So I am definitely biased mm-hmm. because chatting with her on Q on CBC Radio was, uh, it was a great chat. And I found her to be a wonderful person in talking to her. Mm-hmm. And I really liked her performance. And I think, yeah, I'm, I'm going to lean towards mm-hmm. Uzo. Mm-hmm. Very biased. Yeah, no, course, no. Listen, where this is who we want to win, right? It's not necessarily yeah, yeah. Who, who we think will win or whatever. And so I'm going to go with Journey Smollett. I think she is, again, like, I'll get into talking about Love Country a bit maybe now. So this show is very interesting. It takes place back when there was still segregation in the U.S., but it's a science fiction take on it. And every episode, crazy stuff happens. It's it's told in kind of a very episodic format. It's not one continuous plot for the whole thing, but the episodes sort of tie into each other. And essentially, she has to portray so many emotions in a given scene. I was really impressed. She came to my attention when she was in Birds of Prey. Earlier on in 2020, she played Black Canary. She is such a great actress. I'm going to say Journey Smollett. Okay. Next up, outstanding lead actor in a drama series, Roger Jean Page mm-hmm. for Bridgerton, Sterling K. Brown for This Is Us, Billy Porter for Pose, Jonathan Majors for Lovecraft Country, Matthew Reese for Perry Mason, and Josh O'Connor for The Crown. My vote would be for Sterling K. Brown. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think his performances are so compelling and phenomenal. Who would you lean towards? Yeah, I'm going to go with Jonathan Majors in Lovecraft Country. So this is a bit of the behind the scenes stuff. But those of you who watch Loki know that he appears at the end of Loki as a very important character. He is going to be the linchpin for the next phase of the Marvel Universe. There's a reason why Jonathan Majors was chosen. And it's because he is a great actor. This show is very complex, Lovecraft Country, in that it's a horror show. It's a science fiction show. It's a suspense show. It's a show about racism in the United States. And they have to tie all these things in. I mean, they have supernatural monsters, and they talk about the murder of Emmett Till. These all occur in the same series. And how do you do that? And how do you get into that space as an actor? I think Jonathan Majors was on people's radar. He was in Defy Bloods. But after this, I think you'll you'll see him in everything now. He's heard it here first, but obviously other people have said this. He's the next Denzel Washington, for sure. Wow. Wow. Okay. I heard it here first. There you go. Two categories left. Outstanding comedy series and outstanding drama series. So for comedy, Blackish, Cobra Kai, Pen15, Emily in Paris. What? (laughs) Hacks, Ted Lasso, The Flight Attendant, and The Comiskey Method. Harsh. I go Hacks or Ted Lasso. I'm not unhappy if either of them take it. You have to choose. Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso, only because it had a broader impact on society at large (laughs) and really shaped conversation. Hacks, I feel, might have. It just wasn't as broadly viewed and watched. So I'm going Ted Lasso. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, these are really good. Cobra Kai came back this season. Season two was 
garbage, but this season was good. Pen 15, you know, I haven't seen, but everybody says it's such a great show. I feel bad I haven't seen that. And Emily in Paris says, you've seen that. I haven't seen it, but it seems have, a bit airless. Man, we you enjoyed know? it. Yeah, we you enjoyed know. it for what it was, yeah. but it, the, the what it was is an important part of it. And what it was was not Emmy award winning uh, in my opinion. Right. <laughs> Fair enough. So yeah, we, we for me, <laughs> the rest of them are all very good too, but I'm going to go with hacks. You know, I might think about how mm-hmm. it works. Like Ted Lasso, I, we talked about this, we did a whole episode on Ted Lasso. I love the show. I love what it brings. I love the positivity. But in my opinion, hacks is just a better show. It has mm-hmm. a has a clear arc for all the characters. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to say hacks. I can't believe I'm saying that, but I'm saying it. hacks is, is a better show. Outstanding drama series is where we end The Boys, Bridgerton, The Crown, The Mandalorian, Lovecraft Country, Pose, The Handmaid's Tale, and This Is Us. From my perspective, I wouldn't be unhappy Lovecraft Country or The Boys. Uh, It's probably going to go to The Crown, but uh, my vote would be for Mm -hmm, The Boys. mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, so I did the same as you. I'm almost for sure we'll go to The Crown, but... Lovecraft Country, the last thing about that show is it was canceled. It's not going to be on anymore. It was supposed to be an mm. ongoing series, and they and HBO elected to not pick it up. And then it ends up with a ton of awards. Again, we went through all these categories and how many people are from Lovecraft Country. It's definitely not a perfect show by nominees. any stretch of the imagination. But mm-hmm. just the the effort that was put into that, and they, they swung for the fences. And sometimes you do that and you, you don't hit a home run. They gave their all in that show. All the actors, uh, the writers, the director, the showrunner, they all gave their all. So I kind of want to say Lovecraft Country, but in terms of which of these shows I actually enjoyed the most, it's either The Boys or Mandalorian. I'm going to go with The Boys because it's just such a um, out there show. So I'm going to say that's, my, that's, mm. who, that's who I want to win, but The Crown will win. Yeah. All right. And that's it for that. We'll see after Sunday who... Was more correct, me or Ali? Probably me. <laughs> probably. Probably. Sunday, September 19th are the Emmys. We'll check back after that. Okay, now we turn to the world of academic publishing. And some of you might be like, what in the world is that? How does that affect you? Some of you would be very well aware of what it is. I have recently learned a little bit about it from Asif. I was very dismayed to find out how much the world of academic publishing has to do with the world of open mic comedy. Mm -hmm. As far as remuneration goes... I can't believe. So I always get pretty oh, riled by the way, up when. Did you know yes. that it's remuneration, not remuneration? Oh, sorry. Did I say renew? I do know that when I spell it. Yeah. Uh, I always mispronounce. I thought it for, is I, someone corrected me last year that it's that it's that I didn't know that. Anyway, I'm sorry I interrupted you. I know because we go for the number renewed, but it's right. immune from money. Anyway, yeah, remuneration. No, that's valuable. I think I'm willing to bet a good handful of people just were like, "What? Are you kidding me?" remuneration. So that's one to grow on. Look, here's the way I look at uh, one to grow on. Here's one perspective that I always bring with me everywhere. You know, as a comedian, a lot of people are like, oh, could you do this for free? Could you do this for free? And the answer is generally, no, I can't. The exception to that is if it's completely a fundraiser for something I believe in and nobody's getting paid, then I can be on board. But if somebody's getting paid, then all of us should be getting paid. I'm not down with, you know, the producer or the promoter making money and the rest of us are doing stuff for nothing. 
these academic journals are getting paid. Describe this current model for us. I was personally shocked to hear all this. Right. So, yeah, this is, again, some people, as you said, will know this very well because they publish in these journals. Some people don't if you're not into this world. So here's what happens. So we're expected as academic physicians who work associated with a university. So I work associated with the University of Ottawa, but anyone who's worked works with a university. If your doctor just has a private office, then they don't have to be involved in this a lot. But we're expected to do research and we're expected to publish articles because that's how we disseminate our research to other people. So here's how it works. I do this research. Maybe I got a grant from a granting agency or the government to do the research. By the way, can I just ask you this? You say we're expected to. By whom? Right. Before I get into the publishing model. So this is what's expected for all academics in terms of promotion and what we call scholarly activity. So it's not good enough to be a physician associated with a hospital or in a university to just be seeing patients. That's what patients want. But you have to be contributing more to the scholarship of medicine. That's the idea. And so the expectation of the university and the idea is you publish enough, then you can get promoted from one rank to another, and then you move your way up. Okay. For a lot of academics, it's this whole idea of tenure. Less so in medicine, but but for the average academic who taught you at university, they want to get tenure. And part of that is, is achieving and publishing. So you have to do this. It's not really an option if you're associated with an academic institution. You have to publish. So that's the first problem. So then you get these grants to do your research. Sometimes you don't have any grants to do research. You just kind of do it in your own free time and try to scrounge and do like lots of hard work to get this. And now you have to publish this. So there's a bunch of publications journals out there uh, that you can choose, but they're all owned by about four or five big publishing companies. There was a paper in 2015 that showed that five academic publishers published over 50% of all scholarly papers that were published in a given year. So they have a monopoly, these five academic publishers, on the publishing industry for scientific articles. So basically, I write a paper And then I have to submit it to a journal. So I pick a journal that I think will publish it. These are for-profit journals. And then I hope that they accept it or not. And the next thing is the peer review process, okay? So we've heard about this. Everybody talking about peer review. Is this COVID-19 study peer-reviewed yet? Like everybody's talking about it these days. Mm -hmm. So peer review is when they send it out to your colleagues who have expertise in the field to give feedback on it. Right. We've been hearing a lot about peer review in the last year and a half also, yes. right? Related to COVID and vaccines and all this kind of stuff. That's This has been right. like one of the buzzwords. Yeah. And then you get the feedback from the reviewers. Sometimes your paper, if it, often it just gets rejected outright by the editors before <laughs> anything ever happens. But then it goes for peer review. Then you go through these various iterations of that. And maybe we could do a whole episode on the peer review process, which has its mm. huge, huge problems. But And then eventually gets accepted and then published. Okay, so first of all, when it comes to peer review, how much, Ali, do you think peer reviewers get paid for doing these peer reviews for journals? I mean, there's how much I want them to get paid and then how much they probably get paid. Is it, tell me there's something. Is there a stipend? No, Some zero amount, dollars. Or there's nothing? So you get zero paid zero dollars. dollars for peer review. So you're taking time out of your day to review this and they expect you to do it out of the good of your heart. Hmm. Then the journal publishes your article. 
but they take the copyright for your journal. So you wrote this whole thing. You're the author, and maybe you have some co-authors. You may have gotten funding from a, say, a government agency or grant, and usually the publishing companies retain copyright to it. Okay, so you have no ownership of your own work. No. Effectively. Then they publish it in their journal, and then they charge people to access it. What do you think the average cost to access a journal? You may have had some experience with this with your course that you're taking. A journal article, I want to get access to one journal article. Do you have an idea of how much it would cost? It's in the, it's in the hundreds of dollars. Yeah, it's about 30 right, to $100 to do that. And then for one article, and then they right. charge libraries huge amounts to have subscriptions yeah it's it's yeah. more than that Ali. and then so they're making money off this right these publishing companies make so much money so the question is how much then now that they got the copyright from me and they're publishing my work how much money do i receive from their revenues a big fat donut buddy <laughs> this is where my shock comes in this is where i'm absolutely disgusted i didn't know peer reviewers get zero but I did know that not only do you not own your own work, you get nothing for it. Yeah. In any other industry, an expert in a field should probably be charging 500 to $1,500 an hour, right? For their expertise as a consultant or something like that. And you give it away for free. We're gifting our time and our intellectual property for other people who then charge. Then you know what happens? They charge my own institution and the amount they charge is estimating on depending on the institution academic libraries pay 350,000 to 9 million dollars a year in subscription fees for oh these journals. God. Then they charge my own university and so I can't even access my journal without them paying these exorbitant fees. My own research that I put all this time into. I can't imagine you're the only academic slash physician who is uh, irritated by this? Is there some kind of a growing movement? Yeah. To topple these big dogs? Yeah. There is. There is. There was this years ago in the early part, around 2012, there was the academic spring where they you know, like, like kind of like oh, into yeah. the Arab spring, the academics yeah, going to rise up. That didn't really pan out with regards to people putting their foot down. Then there's this whole idea about in Europe, they're trying to make it so every publication has to be open access. So have you heard about open access at all? I've heard the term. Yeah. I've heard the term. So open access is a different method. And so what they say is, they say, okay, this is what publishers say. We understand you guys have a problem with our current model. So here's a new model. We let you retain the copyright, but we charge you an article processing charge because, you know, we're publishing this. So this is for me to publish an article in a given thing. Like, So how much do you think this article processing charges? And then once they do this, by the way, once they charge it to you, you retain the copyright and it will be available free to anybody in the world who wants to get. So to your institution and to yourself. So how much do you think on average it costs? I mean, that should be a few hundred bucks, I guess. You'd think, especially for only online journals. Now, there is cost to yeah. binding and, and putting an actual paper periodical. But right. again, like you teach a course, nobody's getting these actual journals and flipping through them, right? It's all electronic. All your students want is electronic access to these journals. So really, it's, it's publishing something on the internet, right, is what it is. And we yeah. all know you have a website. The cost of that is minimal. Anyway, the minimum cost, I would say, is about $3,000 American. But it can run up to 6000 Okay. That's for open yeah, access. Yeah, that's for open access. And then what happens is 
these open access publishers are still the same big publishers. There's lots of open access journals that are not associated with the big five, but there's also ones that are just on their own. But the big five ones are like, oh, perfect. And by the way, if your institution wants a discount on publishing in our open access journals, then you pay us more money to get this bulk discount. So the libraries still have to pay money for you to get this bulk discount. So this is the current model of academic publishing. I do want to ask what happened to the academic spring and is there a hope that something similar will come back and you guys will be able to stand up to publishers? Yeah, I, I'm hoping. And I think I think that's what basically has to happen. So there's a couple of things. The biggest one is what's called Sci-Hub. I don't know if you've heard of Sci-Hub, but I guarantee your students have, have heard of Sci-Hub. So it's basically a shadow library that provides free access to millions of research papers and to books and basically ignores copyright. It was founded by this scientist, Alexandra Albakin in 2011. She's from Kazakhstan. And essentially, she had done some training in the US. And then and when she went back to Kazakhstan, she realized that, you know, a lot of these institutions, if you're not in a first world country, the institutions can't afford this. And how do you get any access to research? So there's this whole kind of prejudice that, you know, developing countries, US, mm -hmm. Canada, Europe, Australia, they're able to their libraries have enough money to do it. But in developing countries, how do they have enough money to it? So it's this inequality and this unequal access to science. And how will other countries ever be able to compete with their scientific output if they can't even get access to the thing? So she ended up starting this. It's interesting how it works. So basically, you go to the website and you kind of type in, you know, I'm looking for this particular journal and this particular article, and it queries it. Sometimes they have it in their repository. If not, they go get it. They go behind the paywall of these uh, big publishers, and then they take it, and then you download it. I love it. I love it. Yeah, how they get behind the paywall is not quite clear. It sounds like people who have a subscription sometimes email Sci-Hub and say, I'm going to do okay. this. But of course, you know what happened. And Sci-Hub was charged yeah, the with the publishers' with, legal yeah, teams, yeah. and there's been takedowns in various places. It still exists; it's harder to find. El Backen is considered like this kind of like revolutionary in academic publishing, yeah. and they said this is giving academic publishers their Napster moment. That's what a lot of people have said. Mm -hmm. And the and remember, Napster failed in the end, but it changed the way we listen to music. Like, when was the last CD you bought? You know what I mean? Like, it's all subscription. And so maybe that's what will happen. And you can kind of see this. Maybe there is going to be something here. Like, right now, a lot of the academic publishers, tell me what this reminds you of, okay? They're like, we're not, you're not going to subscribe to one journal or another. We're going to give you what's called a big deal. They call it a big deal. Okay, a big deal. We give you access to 600 journals and you as a library pay a flat fee. What does that sound like to you? Well, it sounds like two things. Number one, I'm getting a little bit of a Columbia House Records <laughs> vibe, but but also it sounds like when you um, you want to watch just, uh, let's say, the Food Network and the Sports Network, but right. they don't know you have yeah, to pay for all for these your things. cable like package. That, but you're yeah. giving me stuff and, I don't and want. And you know that people younger than us are like, why do you have cable? Like, just stream everything. Yeah. Or more likely, stream everything illegally, right? So they're going to find ways around this. And that's what you're seeing with Sci-Hub. And this is a problem. This is what's called, so libraries have been really stretched. Libraries, academic libraries. And again, this seems like talking about libraries, how boring. But listen, 
Libraries are the gatekeepers for academic institutions and access to science, right? That's why people yeah. make a big deal about these preprints that are available to everybody to read, right? You don't want to have things held behind the ivory tower. But it's strange what's happened, right? Did you know that subscription prices for scholarly journals have been increasing at a faster rate than inflation for several decades? And that's because it, there's price inelasticity. So again, you have an MBA, so you know what I'm talking about with price inelasticity. It's supply and demand, but each journal that you have publishes research findings and it's a unique commodity, right? You can't just replace yeah. that commodity with something else. And even if a library says, I don't want to publish you New England Journal of Medicine, there's not another equivalent that you could just take instead, right? It has unique yeah. contents in it. So it's a monopoly. And there's a smaller and smaller number of publishers. Elsevier, who's one of the biggest publishers, every year you hear them, okay, let's acquire this small publishing company. Let's acquire this one. And they keep mm -hmm. trying to turn into a monolith. And at the same time, there's decreased funds for universities, especially in universities that are publicly funded, which in Canada is the majority of them. But certainly, obviously, many of the state schools in the U.S. are also publicly funded. And so you have this kind of crunch. Your question kind of is like, what happened to the academic spring? That was almost 10 years ago. So not much has yeah. kind of happened to that. But I think Sci-Hub is, is one aspect of it. That's at the back end. Once the articles are published, how do we do? But it's going to take researchers standing up to it. And it's going to take granting agencies standing up to it. And basically saying, right now, most granting agencies say it needs to be open access. But then they're still paying that money, these exorbitant fees for open access, when in fact... They, it doesn't cost that much, right? It's like the food that you get at the airport, right? It This clearly does not cost this amount. It's like mm. wine being marked up at, at a restaurant, right? This is, we know it doesn't cost this much. Why are, you, why are you charging this much? So I think it's granting agencies and academics. And if all academics just said, sorry, New England Journal of Medicine, sorry, Lancet, sorry, Nature, we don't like your practices, we're going to publish in these very cheap open access journals, those are coming up in different fields, not just in medicine, but in different fields. One in medicine, I'll just give it a shout out to them, is called Curious. It's spelled C-U-R-E-U-S. And for certain articles, they charge no processing fee. And again, they publish on the internet. They publish good quality articles. They have peer review. They do all these things. The cost is zero for certain articles. And that's what it should move to. And I think people just have to demand that that's what they want. All right. I look forward to another Arab uprising in the uh, in the publishing world. God knows you need it. I mean, I I really can't believe how much it's similar to stand up comedy. You know, where you like lend your skill and talent and expertise to various events, and they're like, "Yep, here's twenty five bucks." And you're like, "What?" But but you made like a thousand bucks tonight. Nah, but you know, it's always been twenty five bucks. So mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm, why why you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's always been you know. It's been 20 years. It's something, you know, you know, whatever, openers getting paid this much. Is, anyway, it, none of it makes any sense, man. Listen, to all my fellow a academics, you know what I say? Fight the power. Fight the power. Good stuff. All right. You're a revolutionary yourself, Asif, in a small way. You know, maybe you might uh, light a fire under some of your uh, colleagues who listen to this show. Okay, we have potentially introduced you to a subject that might rile you up a little bit. It certainly should. We've also uh, calmed you down as you think about the Emmy Awards. 
the next time we talk, we will discuss how right and wrong Asif and I are. We'll uh, post that on social media. Also, uh, are you everyone's doctor, Asif? Uh, no, but please remember that although I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor. Medical issues we talk about are for your interest and information only. They're not medical advice. Please consult your medical professionals for actual medical advice. Ali, anything to plug before we get out of here? I think uh, standupali.com on the internet is a good no, place yes, to go for my yes. various things that I may or may not be plugging. That's it. Thank you so much. Give us a like. Give us a subscribe. And any feedback you have, we always welcome it. If you have suggestions for things that you want to hear us talk about, we are open to that. The lines are open. Yeah, we're on, as we always talk about, YouTube, as we mentioned at the beginning, but also Twitter, Instagram, Dr. V Comedian, emails at drvcomedian at gmail.com. Let us know. And when you're on Apple Podcasts, just so people all know, okay, when you go to our, our page, and hopefully you guys like our new logo, which premiered a few weeks ago, you guys are liking that. There's a little three dots at the top of the screen. If you press those, you want to follow the show and turn on automatic downloads. That way you can make sure you're following us. You're going to get updates and the downloads will just come right onto your phone. You don't have to do that automatically. And then you can just delete the episode once you guys have listened to it. So make sure to follow the show, turn on automatic downloads. That's it. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.